Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Now, what do we do when our child throws a tantrum? How do we react when a child hits, punches, bites? How do we help to co-regulate with our child so that it calms their nervous system as well as ours? And how do we head off tantrums before they even happen? As you know, we've entered a new way of helping our children through big emotions these days, moving far away from the ways many of our parents used to parent us and how their parents used to parent them. Instead of pushing big feelings under the rug, hiding them in the closet or stuffing them down into our bodies like a batch of old brownies, we are now talking about our feelings, co-regulating with our feelings, with our children. We are looking for a new way to help our children understand their feelings and process them. Who is leading the way for us today? Alyssa Blass Campbell is joining us for her second time. Alyssa is the founder and CEO of Seed and Sew, an organization committed to giving parents, teachers, and caregivers the tools to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Seed and Sew offers a one-of-a-kind certification program for child care centers and home-based providers through the school's Excelling in Emotional Development Seed Certification. An emotional development expert with a master's degree in early education, Alyssa co-created the Collaborative Emotion Processing CEP method, which is unique in how it equips adults to be mindful of their own emotional intelligence so that they can show up for their kids in their lives in on a productive way. As an early childhood educator and parent, Seed and So provides the tools that Alyssa needed but never had. That sounds familiar to me too. An in-person and online community where parents and educators can find the support they need to do the work for themselves with tiny humans. You can find more information at seedandso.org. And guess what? Alyssa is my birthday twin. Alyssa's my birthday twin and we have books out together. It's very exciting. Don't they look so cute? They look a little bit different, but they both are helping parents so much and I'm so excited. So we have our books coming out October 10th of this year and both of our books are available for pre-order right now. As you know, my book is called How to Talk to Kids About Anything and it is available for pre-sale wherever books are sold. And Alyssa's book is called Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, and is also available for pre-purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome, Alyssa, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. I'm super jazzed to hang out with my book birthday twin today. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Before we jump into our conversation about your new book, can you tell us what lights you up and energizes you? Oh, yeah. Um, I feel most jazzed honestly about being in community. Somebody asked me the other day, like, what do you like to do when you're not working? Like what is most fulfilling for you? And I was like a never ending hang, like not a like, Hey, do you want to grab a coffee? I have this 30 minutes or let's do a play date with our kids for an hour. But just like a, Hey, you want to pop over? Like I have bread and salad stuff. Can you bring chicken? We'll throw it on the grill. And just like a hang Mm -hmm. where we get to hang. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's in those like small group community interactions where A, I feel the most fulfilled. 
And B, we get to be the most impactful with one another. And I think we often overlook how valuable that is. I love that. And that is something that I thought about just yesterday because I was on my walk and I was listening to this TED talk on how we can have more fun in our lives. Mm. And one of the things that they talk about is like really being connected and in flow. And that's, I feel like that's what you're talking about. I was thinking to myself, when do I feel like I have the most fun? And it's exactly in the moments that you just mentioned when you're with somebody and time just flies by, you're laughing, you're connecting. It could, it doesn't always have to be laughing, but like, you just feel so connected and you can get silly. You can get into a fit of laughter, but at the end, you just feel so fulfilled. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what, that's honestly what lights me up. I feel like we've gotten really far away from just connection with mm-hmm. each other. And that's what energizes me the most right now. That, and well, uh, to be honest, a nap as a mom of a two-year-old oh, who's also nice. pregnant, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, there's a lot going on there. You got a lot going on and you have a book coming out, which is like, you yeah. know, no small thing, given that you and I both started working on these books in 2017, you know, doing mm-hmm. the research, the hard research. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this before we launch in that anybody who has read our books and loves our books and like, is like, wow, this is a five-star book. When you get a chance, please, please, please go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble, go to Goodreads. It can be the same exact thing that you said on each one and just put a review on our books, Tiny Humans, Big Emotions by Alyssa Blass Campbell and How to Talk to Kids About Anything by Robin Silverman. And it it just makes a huge difference. And just that you're listening to this, know that we have spent so many years on these books. So your thoughtful review means the world to us. So, okay, now that's out of our way. You devote an entire book to talking about feelings, understanding Mm -hmm. how to regulate them, co-regulate them, staying connected when you and your child are going over the edge and so much more. And my first chapter is on how to talk to in how to talk to kids about anything is on emotions. Like I find that to be incredibly important too, and how to talk to kids about emotions. So you and I are very much on the same page when it comes to the importance of children and emotions. It's not some insignificant thing. And in fact, your motto is like the future is emotionally intelligent. So what would you say are some first steps that people can take to help their children become more emotionally intelligent? Yeah. To notice, right? Like we're always, we're, we really want to do, we want action steps of what do I do in the moment? What do I say in the moment? How do I respond perfectly in the moment? Uh, And really when we can pull back and say, what am I noticing here? Uh, what am I noticing for myself, right? The SEP method, collaborative emotion processing has five components, co-created it with Lauren Staubel. We researched it across the U.S. That's what all of our work is based on. And one is adult-child interactions. One is how to engage with kids. The other four are about us. And it starts with noticing what's happening in my body. How am I feeling inside? Literally not like the emotion, but like are my shoulders up to my ears? My heart beating really fast. Am I feeling stressed? Am I feeling overwhelmed? When was the last time I had a snack? Have I had a drink of water? Like what's happening for me 
inside because that's going to determine how do I respond to the tiny human in the moment. And then helping kids start to build these uh, this skill set of awareness, these tools for themselves in the moment, saying things like, wow, your voice just got so big. I wonder if your heart's beating fast. It looks like your shoulders are up to your ears and your fists are so tight. Whew. Just like helping them start to notice what's happening in their body. And we can start to notice certain things like trends and patterns. When we really tune into the noticing or awareness part, we can start to see like, oh man, every time we're coming in for lunch or we're getting ready for a nap, or we are um, coming back from after school, it is meltdown city here, whether they are two years old or 12 years old or 18 years old, they're melting at these certain times. What's going on for them? Or every time this friend comes over, it's really hard. Every time we're on this trip, specifically going to like this grandparent's house or when we're doing this thing, it's really challenging. Cool. What can we learn from that? And we always have to start. It's, it's informa- information gathering. Um, as if you're going to be a detective for what's really driving the behavior, you got to start by observing and just noticing. Okay. So if we look more at that method, you know, the, these five phases of emotion processing, mm-hmm. starting with allowing yeah. one's emotions to exist, as you say, and ending with moving on, how do we say then emotionally process something with our child like it's time to turn off the TV that mm-hmm. are watching? They really don't want to do that. And so in that particular moment, like, let's be really specific, like, what, what are we doing after, like, obviously we notice, like, as you just said, like they're, they're now like frustrated, they're angry, they're, you know, they don't want to go take their nap or whatever they're about to do. They don't want to turn off the TV. Now what? Yeah. So, yep. You're going to notice for yourself what's coming up. Am I rage filled? Am I like, gosh, I just need you to go down for a nap because I need this break. Right. So notice for yourself. Um, and that allows me personally, like cool my jets. Also this scenario literally happened in my house yesterday, um, as we turned to Daniel Tiger off. So can tell you an exact example. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, yeah, we, I had prepped him. Hey buddy, after this episode, we're going to turn off Daniel Tiger and we're going to start to get ready to go up for tubby and bedtime. And sure enough, it comes. And I've never set a boundary with kids and had them been like, great. Can't wait to follow it. Right. Like he was still, (laughs) he was still disappointed. And that's the thing here is me prepping him with what's coming. Isn't so that he won't feel a feeling. It's not so that he isn't disappointed. It's not so that he isn't frustrated in the moment. It's so that he has full awareness of what to expect. He's still allowed to feel his feelings. And so he did, he felt disappointed that this was coming to an end and frustrated that I turned off the TV when I said, would you like to turn it off or should I turn it off? I'm going to count to 10. And if you haven't turned it off, I'm going to turn it off and counted to 10 and turned it off. And he was saying, no, not neither. That's how he says, I don't want either of them. No, not neither. (laughs) It's also, he's allowed to not like either of the choices. And so he's, he's melting. I'm allowing him to feel disappointed. I'm not going, oh, buddy, we talked about this. It was gonna, you knew it was coming, right? Like, I'm just saying, yeah, 
it makes sense to feel disappointed. We were having such a nice time snuggling under this cozy blanket and watching Daniel Tiger. And it's hard to stop. He is someone that really benefits from the like verbal response for some kids. I'm going to say as little as possible. My little guy really benefits from the like words of affirmation part of this. And so for him, it's a little bit longer of what I would say for a kid who doesn't, who like gets really overwhelmed and flooded with more words. I would say, oh, I might not even mention an emotion word. I might say something like, oh, you didn't want to turn off the TV and it's time to go upstairs. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Like as short and to the point, some kids, if you mention an emotion word, they fly off the handle. They're like, oh, I'm not disappointed. <laughs> right. Like while they're crying. Yeah. Um, you're like, yeah, don't sound it. No. Um, <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, it brings us into phase two of really recognizing this perceived emotion, like recognizing what he's experiencing. He's disappointed. And then we go into security. This is where we, I let him know in different ways that this feeling will pass, that he won't always feel this way. And this is where we see a game changer with kids with anxiety um, who are struggling with anxiety is this phase. And so in here, I'll say something like, oh, I wonder what we could do when you're ready to feel calm again, which signals to the brain, oh, right, calm exists. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to feel like this forever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he'll yell, no calm or not ready yet. I'm like, great. I will be here with you. And still sometimes when it's a transition, we have to move through. I don't have 20 minutes to hang out downstairs because then bedtime's a disaster because he's overtired. Mm -hmm. And so then I went into, all right, buddy, you don't have to be calm. It is time for Tubby. Do you want to, he's really into animals lately. So do you want to hop like a kangaroo up the steps or do you want to climb like a bear? Mm-hmm. And sometimes he's interested in one of those. And last night he was not, um, no, not neither. And <laughs> so I said, all right, buddy, I am going to sing one song. And when I'm done singing it, I can carry you up or you can move your body up the stairs. Um, and ultimately carried him up, which isn't my favorite thing to do right. at 20 weeks pregnant or whatever, like not joyful. And What he's learning through this is you still get to feel your feelings and the boundaries will still be held. The boundaries are still real because that's my job as the parent. Mm -hmm. And we got up there, we got to Tubby. And by the time we got upstairs, he was starting to like move through a little bit. He really likes the bath. So that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did some regulating things that are really helpful for him, which is phase four coping, Mm -hmm. Um, coping is specific to each individual. This is huge. And this is something that I think is often left off the table that what helps me calm is actually different than what helps him calm. I am a human who loves touch. I love a snuggle. I love to touch and I benefit from a hug. My child, on the other hand, when I am touching him, that makes it harder for him to regulate that drains his nervous system. And so what I know works for him is to have down regulation, like low lights, low sounds, um, like a sensory break, kind of decreasing stimuli or, and, or vestibular input, dipping, swinging, spinning. 
Now, when we were going upstairs and I was holding him and he was crying, when we got to the top of the steps, I just said, I'm going to dip you all the way down to the ground. Let's see if your hair will touch the ground. And I dipped him down and brought him back up. And I did it three times for him. And he wasn't like laughing and playing a game with it, but it was, you could see like he was enjoying that in some ways it was starting to help him calm. And then by the time we got into Tubby, he was in a calmer state. We turned lights down. I had just like this nightlight that we have in the bathroom on just the water. There's no other like background noise happening at that point. And I just was quiet. So I'm not adding conversation at this point. I'm just letting him be in his element Mm -hmm. for a little bit and have that downtime because that's one of the most regulating things for him. Um, And then moving on and problem solving phase five, sometimes at the end of the night, we're not doing it or right before a nap, we're not doing it because they are often dysregulated because they're getting tired and full regulation isn't always possible until they sleep, right? Like we've all been there where if you're hangry, I'm not going to you could do all the jumping jacks or move your body or take a sensory break, all that in the world. But until you eat food, you're going to keep feeling hangry and dysregulated. And so the same with tired last night. Um, he did not get to a place where I was like, he's ready to debrief this. So we just like moved through it. He ended up like coming out and was like in a decently regulated state through bedtime. Um, But then this morning I did circle back, which works for him. For some kids, it's too long. But for him, again, he loves those words of affirmation. I was like, oh, buddy, remember last night when you were uh, really disappointed about Daniel Tiger going off? It's so hard to stop when we're having a good time. I really get that. We do have to clean our bodies and get ready for bed. And it's okay to feel disappointed. And I just left it at that this morning. So for the parents who are listening in right now, if their child is, this is sort of, I mean, I'm like kind of talking about myself in some ways here, but I've heard sure. this many times, <laughs> like, believe it or not, this happens to all of us. You know, if, if your child is very different from you in terms of how they express and process emotions. Mm-hmm. Maybe one person tends to be, they're more introverted, they're more private, they're more quiet about emotions. The other person is say more expressive and loud about emotions. How can you find common ground so that everyone gets seen and heard rather than dismissed as unfeeling or over-emotional? Yes. We call this a sensory mismatch and I married one. So we are very different. And then I birthed one. He is like my husband. Mm -hmm. Um, so I am the like odd person out right now, um, where, uh, I, I literally live this daily. I am the extrovert and I love like talking. I love touch. I, and my husband and child are both quite introverted. They really are what I would consider observers. They'll go into a space and really take it all in. They are information gathering experts. Mm -hmm. I miss details all the time because I walk in and I'm like, Hey, hi, want to hang out with you. Right. And like, I just miss all the details and Sage and Zach are fantastic at details. And it leads to a sensory mismatch for us sometimes which for us, what we look at is really figuring out what are you, we look at these, we have eight sensory systems, sight, sound, 
sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, those five common ones we hear of. Mm -hmm. Interceptive is noticing what's happening inside. So if I say I have butterflies in my stomach, you know what that feels like, hungry, tired, et cetera, noticing those feelings inside. Vestibular is moving that plane of your head. So we get this through like swinging, going upside down, spinning, and then proprioceptive is that big muscle input. So big jumps or when kids are climbing on things, et cetera. And when we look at those, there of those eight, we are all seeking certain things. There are certain things that help us regulate and we're sensitive to certain things. Certain things are dysregulating for us. Mm. I am sensitive to sound. So especially like tapping or clicking. Mm-hmm. Um, I also married a drummer and my child's obsessed with trains. So this is happening in my house a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really draining for me. And then I am also sensitive to vestibular input that like spinning or dipping upside down. Mm-hmm. I'm regulated by, I'm seeking proprioceptive input in that deep touch or any touch really. Like I could have a baby on my body forever. I could get a four day massage and I'm still like, I am not touched out. I want yeah. more. Um, my son is sensitive to touch, which is something regulating for me. And he seeks vestibular input for regulation. So we're opposites there. Mm -hmm. And what this means is like, as I learned this about myself, what am I seeking? What am I sensitive to? Then looking at him, what is he seeking? What is he sensitive to? Which is really a lot of observation and trial and error. Um, When he's losing it and I touch him or I offer him a hug, what happens? There are pictures of him as a newborn with his hand between I'm like snuggling him and his hand is between himself Mm -hmm. and my chest where he's like pushing himself away almost it's how he was born it's we we we're all born with unique sensory systems and then we looked at like oh what helps him feel calm what helps him regulate now when we know these things about ourselves it's our job as the adult to be mindful of our regulation so that we can show up in the way that's best supportive for the child. It's not their job to adjust for us. Mm. And so what we look at here is like, all right, I know that that Thomas, the train clicking sound makes me want to murder somebody. And so I need to make sure that I have uh, access to tools that are regulating for me. And that I take breaks when he's playing with those trains and he wants me to play. I will let him know I can come play for five minutes and then I'm going to go do the dishes or I'm going to go do something. And I will set a visual timer for him. So he knows how long he's getting like all that jazz. And then I leave because if I stay, I turn into a human that is not able to support him, uh, mm. through a whole lot. And so I need to like take those breaks for myself to stay regulated. This is like life-changing information, I feel like. (laughs) No, it really is because I I feel very similarly. You and I are actually quite similar. I mean, I know that's probably like surprising to you. And I was like, I like you so much. Um, <laughs> and, and my, and my child, uh, my, my son is, is very much a notice. I always called him a noticer and mm-hmm. very much information gathering and, and all of those things. So it's just fascinating to yeah. hear this information and to take it in. And I bet you our listeners are are thinking about it. Well, oh, that may be part of the problem. Because when we look at our kid and we say, what is the matter with this child, right? Like I can't, or what is the matter with me while I'm around my child? It's like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, like I, I must be a horrible person. 
that you're just dysregulated right just <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the thing like it has been a real practice for me with things like sage left his own birthday party halfway through and said he was overwhelmed and he was going to go inside and take a break he was mm-hmm. two mm-hmm. and i as a giant extrovert was like what is he doing first of all like the boldness to leave your own birthday party. Right. How rude, and, right? <laughs> yes. Right. And and then I was like, I was like racking my brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, is he going to have the social skills to exist in a group setting? Is he whatever? And it can spiral, oh you know? And then my husband was like, yeah, he did exist in a group setting. He took a break when he needed a break. And then he came back to hang with people. Like mm-hmm. he did exactly what his body needed so that he could exist in that group setting. And you, Alyssa, did what your body needed and hung out with a bunch of people. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he is doing fine. But I needed that reframe of like, he doesn't have to be you, Alyssa. Oh my gosh, <laughs> and, yes. and he is doing great. <laughs> You have to, you have to um, listen to my podcast with Jen Graneman. She does uh, all about introverts. She's an introvert and her work is all about being an introvert and shining light on this very thing and helping people understand that when she needs to tuck herself away, when she needs to regulate herself, like it has nothing to do with us. It has Mm -hmm. everything to do with her own system. And she is, yeah, she has a, uh, um, her, her Instagram is introvert dear, and she has a lot of people following her, um, you know, talking about the same things, but yes, I interviewed her and you should definitely look up that podcast. I'll send it to you. It's it's, extremely enlightening. I'll say that. And it's uh, good because I married one and I'm raising one. Man. (laughs) Yeah. But it's hard. Yeah. It's hard because you jump ahead, or at least I do to the like, how is he going to succeed in this yes, world? Exactly. As if like, I have all the answers, right? And I'm our like, way is the way, right? Correct. Yeah, exactly. It's so silly. Yeah. Um, and in actuality, it's been a, it's been that mindset shift for me of like, what does it look like for him to succeed in this world? Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he needs tools and spaces where he can tap out sometimes. And that's mm-hmm. great. So yes. Wow. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> I will be using that. So we're, we're going to do a segment called don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Okay. Don't do that. Do this in your book. You have a chapter on what to do in the moment, and this can be extremely helpful. Sometimes in the moment, we actually wind up doing the opposite of what's helpful. I don't know if you have done that, but I have done it many times. Probably every Um, day. I mean, (laughs) I mean, honestly, it's like, and I I'll tell you that knowing you and having interviewed you more than once and having private conversations with you, I still, you know, how you have in your head, like this person has it all together at all times. And so thank you for that. Um, And people say the same thing to me. They're like, it's so comforting when you tell us like you lose your, you lose your sauce a lot too. Um, And I do, I'm I'm working on it. I'm so actively working on it. So I think that's something. Uh, So when something is frustrating and you know, maybe we haven't read your book or listened to your podcast or we're, you know, human. Um, Can we give some really usable stuff right now um, to everyday occurrences? So in your book, you said like when your child is unruly, so it's probably best not to sit him in timeout for being unruly. Instead, do this. Yeah. So when they're out of control, first, actually, before we go into the segment, I think it's necessary to say like, you'll never do this with perfection. 
No. And that's okay. Right. Like I've never left the day as a parent or a teacher and been like, wow, I was perfect today. Not the goal. Um, so when they are out of control, instead of putting them in a timeout, because a timeout actually doesn't solve the problem. It just temporarily says, I want you to feel bad about this behavior so that hopefully you don't do it again, but it doesn't help them with the what do I do with what I'm experiencing? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's so much more powerful to find the yes, right? To say, oh, and and if there's anything like physical, I'm going to hold those hands. I'm going to stop a kick. Just this morning, I stopped a kick and said, oh, I won't let you kick my body. If you want to connect with me and you want me to notice you, you can say, or you can do. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be customized to your child, Mm -hmm. to your cultural background in your family. But in my household this morning, I said, you can say mama play, Mm. or you can hold my hand and say, will you play with me? Mm -hmm. Mm, And he came over and he held my hand and he said, will you play with me? And then it was important that I carved out a minute to play with him, right? It wasn't a convenient time, but I said, yeah, buddy, I can play with you for one minute. And then I have to come back and finish making breakfast. Mm -hmm. Oh, love it. Okay. When your child is being defiant, Mm. it's best not to yell at him for doing the wrong thing, but instead. Yeah. Defiance is a big trigger for me, actually, Mm, growing up in a household with respect. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. When they're being defiant, we want to first recognize they are not in control of their words and their actions, despite how it looks. Mm. So they are, I can give you a real life example from me as a child. I was often like the defiant child and you set a boundary still to this day in like mid thirties, Alyssa, I am like, great. Can't wait to push it. Like love, <laughs> love to push it. And uh, so like, I really relate to this. And what it is, is that I am in a dysregulated state when that's happening and what it takes to have self-control to choose your words and to choose your actions. Then you have to tell me that your child A, has these two skills I'm about to list, and B, is using them right now. They have self-awareness. They can notice what's happening in their body as it's building, and they have self-regulation. They can notice and say, I'm going to calm my body. If they have those two skills mastered, then they have access to self-control. If they don't have those two skills mastered, they are not accessing their prefrontal cortex in the moment, which is your rational thinking brain. And so they do not have access to self-control. They're not choosing their words or their actions. They're acting from a place of dysregulation. And sometimes dysregulation shows up as a tantrum or a meltdown or the hitting, the kicking, the biting. It can show up as a kid like tornadoing around and just like throwing things or making a big mess. It can show up as defiance. It can show up as misbehavior. It can show up as ignoring you. It can show up as silliness where they're doing things like I had a three-year-old in my preschool classroom who would kick kids or hit them and then laugh or smile. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, oh my gosh, is this a sociopath? Like, is he a psychopath? Does he not have feelings? And you're like, oh no, he's dysregulated right now. And he is the adult that laughs at a funeral, you know, like that, like that is their nervous system dysregulation response. And so when the nervous system dysregulation response, hi, it's me, is defiance (laughs) for a lot of folks around us, it looks like we are in control and choosing our actions or our words. Mm. And in actuality, we are not. Mm. Wow. 
I mean, let's just highlight that, you know, it's, it's, it's in the knowing that we can change our behavior. So I'm of course not being perfect at, at all the time. I sure. mean, honestly, you're like, if you're not able to access that, I'm like, I guess I was not able to access that at the time when I absolutely lost it. I mean, think about the, yeah. you know, you as a parent, when you're being worn down and worn down and worn down, you're, you know, you didn't, you didn't sleep. Your kids are fighting. Mm-hmm. That's my trigger, everybody. Um, when my, you know, and my kids do it often and well. So, you know, if they're fighting and fighting and fighting, it really, oh, it, and it sends me into such a spiral of, of exactly what you're saying. Like, are they going to grow up and not like each other? And mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm going to be gone and they're not going to have anybody. And, you know, I just spiral out of control. Um, and if they treat each other like this, are they going to treat everybody like this? Totally. So, yeah. So I, I really appreciate that both for how to think about children, but also how to think about yourself. So thank you for that. I'm so sad that I'm going to have to like wrap this up because I love talking to you. <laughs> But give us your top tip after reading your book, Mm -hmm. after coming away from this podcast, what is your absolute number one top tip that you would like everybody to know about? The number one thing I would like folks to do is to learn about their sensory systems and the child in front of them, because that is where we're going to learn. There isn't a one size fits all response to kids and anyone who has more than one kid or has ever interacted with more than one child or human knows that something you say or do with one kid might not work with the next kid. And the way that we learn what works with each child is to learn how does their brain and body work? What's happening inside for them in different circumstances. We have a whole section in our book that gets into this kind of nerdiness of the sensory systems. And it comes, it intentionally comes in part one before we get to part two, where we go through those adult child interactions, because when you can understand what's happening inside, then those triggers like the defiance or the kids fighting or whatever's happening for us, those triggers, we can start to see, oh, they're not choosing this. They're not saying, you know what? I am aware of what's happening in my body. I have calmed my body and now I'm going to be a pain in the butt to my brother, or now I'm going to stare you in the face and do the thing I'm not supposed to. When we understand that, then it allows us to respond with intention and compassion in a way that is connective for that child Mm -hmm. that breeds connection with them. And so that's where I'd start. It's actually, I think chapter three of our book, um, Yeah. Yeah. So good. I like completely underlined everything and started. So can you tell us the resource of the week? Where can we go to get more information about you, your book and the great work you're doing? Totally. Tiny humans, big emotions is the title of our book. And it's how you can respond to the defiance and meltdowns and tantrums so that you can raise emotionally intelligent kids and have kids who more frequently have those tools for self-awareness and self-reg so they can choose self-control. And it helps us as the adults build those tools. I don't know about you, but I did not grow up in a household where I got these tools. And so trying to build them often alongside building them with my child. Mm -hmm. So tiny humans, big emotions, wherever books are sold and come tune into voices of your village podcast and follow us on social at seed and so seed dot and dot. So S E W. All of these things will be on the podcast show notes. So don't worry if you're running around 
And I just want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And I'm so excited. We're going to be working together and doing something special with our books together. I'm going to say thank you so much. And I loved all the information that you provided for us today. Thank you for being on the show once again. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. You can go up to the Dr. Robin Silverman page on Facebook and we can discuss them there. Or we can go to Twitter, which is now X under Dr. Robin. And hey, let's go to Instagram because Alyssa Blass Campbell with Seed and Sew has a lovely large community there. And we're going to be going back and forth. I'm going to be putting memes up. We're going to be putting clips of this podcast up. Let's share them around. Let's talk about them because there were some great things said and we want as much exposure to these types of strategies as possible. We're all dealing with these frustrations and we can all use these tips and scripts that were provided today. And speaking of that, if you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review this podcast up there, maybe this was your favorite one. Like, let's talk about it. Let's put it up there. Say some words, put up a five-star review. I have absolutely no uh, payment that comes to me through this podcast. I'm completely funding it myself. So it would be the best, the hugest compliment, the biggest help if you can get this podcast out there. And if you can give those five-star reviews, it absolutely does that. So please go up, rate and review it. Give that five-star review. Let's get these in, this information out to as many people as possible. It's going to help kids. It's going to help parents. It's going to help teachers. Thank you so much. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. And by the way... I'm so excited to see those of you who are bringing me in for speaking engagements because of this book. I, I'm going to be traveling all the way around. I'm going to bookstores and doing book signings, but I'm also going to different places to present. And yay, if you want to bring me in, please go to drrobinsilverman.com and tell me about it. I know I'm talking to a bunch of organizations um, all over and yay, I'm just so excited. And the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. And all these other podcasts are up there. So let's listen. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know this is not easy. I'm right there with you. Never forget, there's typically a tomorrow. Now, of course, this podcast reminds you that time <laughs> does go quickly. So let's get these strategies in place. Try it. Give one of these strategies a, a, a try and see how it goes. Maybe you'll be establishing a new habit and it's going to make your life better. I bet you it will. I've been doing this. I've been using some of uh, Alyssa's strategies for a while now and boy, do they work. So let's do that. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.